Welcome to this podcast episode from the Historical Society of the New York Courts. My name is Lillian Wan, and I am a Kings County Supreme Court civil term judge and a member of the Society's Board of Trustees. I am joined today by Judge Randall Eng, former presiding justice of the Appellate Division Second Department. He is currently of counsel at Meyer Swazi English and Klein PC and trustee emeritus of the Historical Society. Welcome, Judge Eng. Randy? Thank, thank you, it's a great pleasure uh, being with you. Thank you for being here with me today. So today we will be discussing Asian American judges in the New York court system and the importance of Asian Americans in leadership roles. We felt that it was important to have this discussion now, especially against the backdrop of widespread reports of hate incidents against Asian Americans during the COVID-19 pandemic. Randy, you were appointed to the New York City Criminal Court bench in 1983. How many Asian American jurists were sitting in New York City at that time and in New York State altogether? There were none. There were none in New York City nor any in any other part of New York State. Wow. So as of today, in April 2021, we now have 39 Asian American jurists in the state of New York. So this is about an average of one jurist per year since your original appointment to the bench. And this last year, we saw two Asian American jurists elected upstate in Orange County and in Monroe County. Do you consider this progress for New York City and the state court system? It certainly is progress, but not enough progress. I think our peak numbers probably were something over 40 at one point, and now we uh, are down to 39 again. And remember, we're counting um, every Asian American group, uh, including um, South Asian uh, judges, and uh, East Asian origin judges, uh, even those of mixed heritage. So just counting everyone, everyone, it's barely 39. But it is progress. Uh, I must say that when I was appointed in uh, 1983, uh, it took a while for it to build. There was just a handful of, um, of Asian American judges that came on soon after me. I came on in 1983, but by the time the 1980s were, were done, we had uh, Judge Peter Tom, we had Judge Dorothy Chin Brandt, uh, we even had uh, briefly uh, Judge Howard Chin, who was uh, appointed to the criminal court for uh, I think a one year term or so, as I recall, but just a handful. It began to grow, of course, in the 1990s and certainly by, by 2000. So we had a mix of appointed judges and elected judges uh, going from that point on, but it was a very, very small group in the beginning. I think that even now, they, we have over 1,200 judges in the New York State court system, and Asian Americans really only comprise about 2.7% of our yes. judiciary. So yes. we still have a long way to go, don't we? We do have a long, we do have a long way to go. And as I pointed out in the past, it took a long time to have an Asian American appointed to the Court of Claims. You are one of them, actually. Uh, a, very, a very small handful. Uh, I can think of Alex, 
I, um, That's Alex it. John, right. Yes, it may be just the two of you. It is. And uh, a very, very difficult judgeship for Asian Americans to, uh, to obtain. And we've had uh, Asian judges in every court that I can think of, with the exception of the Court of Appeals. And that's rather long overdue also, in my view. We've had them at the, um, in, in the family court, uh, the civil court, the Supreme Court, the Court of Claims, uh, in uh, the appellate division, but we haven't had a, a judge in the Court of Appeals yet. So I think that uh, there's still certainly uh, room to advance. And as we're going to talk about later, there is a, um, a paucity of Asian American judges in the uh, administrative and leadership roles. Indeed. As you know, Secretary Jay Johnson was appointed as special advisor on equal justice in the New York State courts. And he issued a 103 page report on racial bias in the court system. And in terms of diversity in the judiciary, Secretary Johnson found that underrepresentation has persisted across all non-white groups, though the representation of black judges has steadily improved over the last 30 years. He reported that in 2020, black people account for 15.7% of the population and 14% of judges. In contrast, Asian Americans comprise 8.5% of New Yorkers and yet only 2.6% of the bench. And I will add that 37 of our 39 Asian American judges in the New York State court system are from New York City, where Asian Americans comprise about 14% of the population. So Secretary Johnson goes on to say that, and I quote, Asian judges remain underrepresented compared to overall Asian population in the city. He also notes that elections of judges tend to benefit the Black and Latinx populations, whereas the Asian community remains underrepresented among judges chosen by election. So why do you think that this is the case? Hmm. A very good question. And the elected Asian judges are from Manhattan and from Queens, essentially. There are no elected Asian judges anywhere else within the five boroughs of New York. It's a combination of things. It's a combination of um, Asians not being uh, full participants in the political process as they should be. And it's also a function of a, uh, a distrust, I would say, uh, among potential Asian candidates of the political process itself. I point out though that uh, in Queens, we've managed to have uh, representation uh, among elected judges, and we've also had representation in legislative offices and in executive offices. Uh, New York, uh, Queens uh, has produced um, a member of Congress, uh, several members of the council, members of the assembly, a citywide elected controller. Uh, I was a Queens judge and I was presiding justice of the second department. The point is, is that there can be success in elective office. Queens is a, uh, is a model of that. We're talking about uh, just grassroots uh, participation and recognition. 
he wouldn't have become nominated and elected if it were not for the recognition of the of the Asian community. So it is possible. It's just a matter of uh, becoming acclimated to the political process and participating in it fully. That's that's my belief. And uh, Asians are quite capable of doing it. I think. Just a matter of, um, of motivation. Uh, among judges, I uh, found early on in my uh, judicial career that Asian judges, Asian judicial candidates were rather few and far between. The ones who I deemed to be very well qualified would shake their heads and say to me, uh, judge, thank you very much, but I'm doing too well in my practice or I'm doing too well in my firm and I can't afford the cut. I can't afford the, the economics of it. And they were correct. We, uh, we had a, uh, a severe lag in judicial salaries that, uh, well, the longest one was 13 years without an adjustment. And recently we were even unable to, um, uh, to achieve parity with the federal district judges in uh, the latest um, decision of the commission. The point is, is that you have now a greater pool of qualified Asian candidates. And that is, you have persons who have been in the private sector, uh, in, in the governmental sector, who have achieved the qualifications, I think, that are necessary for the bench. So that story, that anecdote that I told about my early experiences may not be true anymore. But it, it's a matter of getting before selection committees, getting acclimated to the political process for nominations and getting in the game. You can't succeed unless you are in the game. So you were just talking about the fact that Queens has had a number of public, elected public officials of Asian American descent, right? And there are some in Manhattan also, but beyond Queens and Manhattan, there really aren't any other Asian American elected public officials. So do you think that that plays into part of the reason why Asian American judges are uh, underrepresented in terms of those that are chosen by election? That's a very good observation. And that is that um, there is a paucity of elected Asian public officials outside of uh, New York City. Those persons are frequently mentors for, uh, for candidates, even judicial candidates. And it, um, it's very rare to see uh, an elected Asian public official. I'm, uh, I am aware of a, a handful of town and village justices that may have been elected uh, in the metropolitan area, but um, they're few and far between. The, the only person I can think of, and that's somebody that we discussed in an email, is um, Judge Bernard Cheng, the, uh, the former family court judge in Suffolk County. Yes. I, I didn't even realize that he retired from the bench. He, he served a full term of 10 years, Indeed. but did not stand for re-election. He was, he was nominated and elected in Suffolk County, certainly not a, uh, a hotbed of Asian political activism, but he succeeded. He succeeded because of uh, his uh, involvement in, uh, in the grassroots of, uh, of the Suffolk County process. It is doable. It's a question of having qualified people just taking that extra step. But uh, there is a lack of uh, Asian judges everywhere else. I, I was PJ of the second department and there were none in the, uh, in the ninth district, the, uh, the, the five counties, uh, the five northern counties of the, of the second department and uh, none from Kings County 
Kings County is a natural for um, elected Asian public officials and, uh, and judges. There's a very large uh, population. I think they're uh, certainly become more politically aware, but it's a question of uh, getting involved in the process itself. And that is um, being involved with um, grassroots politics, the, uh, the local political organizations, the local district leaders, uh, they are the ones that are very involved in the, uh, in the process. You have to recognize it. Constitutionally, we have more elected judges than appointed judges. So if you want to be a, a judge, you have to be involved in the process or at least have family members, uh, friends working on your behalf in the process. It is doable. Uh, I've been both appointed and elected and, uh, and designated by, uh, by governors so I think I've, um, I've been down every path and I can assure you it is doable. So while we are seeing more Asian Americans running for office, particularly in Manhattan and in Queens, um, and they're being elected to different judicial positions, there are still more Asian American jurists that are appointed than elected. I don't know if you remember this, but when we were just forming our Asian American Judges Association of New York State back in 2013 or so, you had attended different meetings with us and you were the presiding justice of the appellate division second department at that time. And um, the few of us that were at that meeting, myself included, we remember that you shared with us that you felt that Asian Americans need to run for office rather than just seek the appointed positions and that we should not be afraid of politics um, and that uh, we really needed to be more involved politically. Um, why, why did you tell us that at that time and do you still believe that to be true? In the present environment, I still believe it to be true. And just as a practical matter, elected judges have longer terms than appointed judges. A uh, Supreme Court justice is elected for 14 years. Court of Claims judge is appointed for a nine-year term. The um, New York City Criminal Court, the Civil Court, those are 10-year terms. The, um, the reality of it is if you want to advance in the judicial system, it probably is beneficial to be an elected justice. First of all, if you aspire to the appellate division, you have to be an elected justice. So by not seeking a elected Supreme Court judgeship, you are uh, putting a, a cap on your own career regarding advancement. You might be a candidate perhaps for the Court of Appeals as those vacancies uh, occur, which uh, generally don't occur as frequently as they have uh, in the past year. But um, if you want to advance to the to the appellate division with more seats, you have to be an elected justice. No way around that. It's constitutional. If you look at the um, uh, leadership of the courts, you'll find that in the past, uh, and uh, probably even now, I haven't looked as closely as I had when I was uh, an active judge, the, um, the leadership of the courts uh, tend to be elected justices. For example, the, um, the administrative judges of the, uh, the various um, boroughs in New York City. Uh, they tend to be elected justices. The, uh, the two in Queens are elected justices. The, um, the uh, leadership of, uh, of Kings County Supreme Court 
Uh, let me be 50-50. I, I believe that uh, Judge Nipel is elected and... Um, Judge Demick is an appointed... Judge Demick is appointed, yes. Yeah. Yes, so that's, that's why I thought it might be 50-50. But mm -hmm. if you look at it, um, they tend to come from the... Uh, they tend to come from the elected ranks. I think that's accurate. Yes, yeah. they tend to, yes. It, it's not uh, altogether determinative, uh, but uh, it, it has been. So if you want to be on a track to uh, maximize your, uh, your chances for advancement, I, I think that is the way to go. And with appointed judgeships, it's whimsical. <laughs> you are, are subject to uh, the needs and, and the desires and the preferences of single uh, appointing officials, be it a governor or a mayor, and they have their own agendas. You may or may not fit into that agenda. When I was first appointed a criminal court judge by Mayor Koch, I just happened to fit the profile of who he liked. And that is, he liked younger people. He had a vision of forming the bench into the 21st century, which he did. Some of his appointees are still on the bench. Uh, that's the administration of Mayor Koch. He, um, he, favored, uh, he favored younger candidates to the point that in my year, as I recall, nine out of the 11 criminal court judges that he appointed that year were under the age of 40, unheard of in the past. But that was his, that was his preference. And he has every right to, um, uh, to have his own agenda. Uh, he liked people from um, his administration in, in city government. I happened to be the inspector general of New York City Correction at the time. I happened to fit that profile. So um, uh, he also liked the former prosecutors. So I happened to be uh, former Queens assistant DA for some eight years. So I just happened to fill the bill. The point that I'm making is that if you are not uh, someone that appointing officials are inclined to consider and select, you've limited yourself in that regard. With the elected process, it, it seems to follow the, the demographics, and that is that um, the, uh, the judiciary that's elected, uh, of course, is under the influence of political leadership, and they follow the demographic trends. So if there's an unrecognized group over there, that group will let you know it, and, um, and you could find yourself a candidate representing that group. The appointed process is insulated from that. So that's, that's why I made the statement that I did. And uh, it's just based on, on past experiences, having been appointed and having been elected. Switching gears for just a moment, there has been this rise in, in anti-Asian violence here in New York City and across mm -hmm. the country over the past year. And these attacks have definitely impacted our Asian American community, and not only do we hear about these attacks in the media, we hear of the unreported anecdotes from within our communities of anti-Asian harassment and sentiment. And I'm wondering, have you ever experienced anti-Asian harassment or violence uh, as a judge or just in your personal life even? I certainly have. I uh, grew up in Queens and uh, being a very small, visible minority, it was tough. I can remember um, plenty of verbal harassment, name calling, uh, minor physical harassment. I, I wasn't beaten up 
as I recall, but I certainly was pushed around enough as a, uh, uh, as a, young, as a young child. And um, I can also remember uh, growing up at the very end of the Korean War, uh, I was old enough to remember the anxiety of the, uh, of the Chinese community when uh, China intervened in the Korean War. Many of um, our relatives thought that we might be interned as the Japanese Americans were interned during World War II. That's how high the level of anxiety rose in that time. I, I'm happy to say that in the age of civil rights, uh, uh, from the mid-1960s uh, onward, uh, there was less and less of that, a name-calling, harassment. Uh, and uh, I began to feel that, you know, we were uh, making great progress in that area of being um, an accepted, accepted uh, uh, racial minority in that you weren't always the victim of uh, harassment, name calling, uh, preferential treatment, discrimination, uh, everything like that. And it's very disheartening to see uh, that um, <laughs> uh, it isn't very far below the surface. Again, I, I've seen the name calling, uh, the, the verbal harassment, the conduct of others, you know, such as if I'm online at a supermarket, I, I see non-Asians avoiding me, keeping a greater distance, uh, things like that, things that hadn't happened before. So it's disheartening to know that it's not, it's not far from the surface. Regarding the judiciary, I, I can say in all honesty that uh, I, I, I didn't experience um, anti-Asian harassment, discrimination. Uh, I experienced a lot of surprise looks, you know, <laughs> an Asian judge on the bench, an Asian judge presiding over this trial, but I, I don't recall having a problem regarding, regarding race. In all candor, being a 35-year-old criminal court judge, I had more problems with uh, uh, older attorneys taking me seriously. <laughs> I, the uh, the, uh, the bar then, uh, composed of a lot of, you know, Depression-era, hard-bitten lawyers, <laughs> weren't used to having a 35-year-old judge uh, hearing their cases and deciding their matters. When I reported to the Queen's Criminal Court, uh, I was probably three decades younger than the average judge there, uh, who, was, uh, who were in their 60s. <laughs> so, you know, I can, I can understand, you know, in, in, in some regard, uh, how that came to be. But as I, as I grew older, <laughs> that, uh, that became, that was dissipated. And uh, now, uh, now I'm the grand old man, <laughs> the, the, the form of this and the form of that. So um, I, I can say that uh, it was, I was very uh, accepted. I had a good experience as a judge. I was a judge for 34 years and I don't remember any difficulties at all regarding uh, racism. Um, uh, if anything, I probably uh, got everyone's attention <laughs> being one of the few Asian judges around. So at least they would hear me. <laughs> I, I wasn't ignored. I think we have a, a lot in common because I was appointed to the bench at age 36, right? And mm. I had that problem in the beginning of of making sure that people were taking me seriously, right? As a, as a young yes. Asian American woman, the first Asian American appointed to the family court, right? So, um, you know, we, we share some of that. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the name calling, right? I, I grew up in the, in the 70s and the 80s, 
And there was still a lot of that. Uh, it was just me and my brother, uh, but, but everybody used to ask us if we were related to Bruce Lee, if we knew Kung Fu, you know, those were the comments that we got all well, the time. Well, that's mild compared to the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So I, I learned to try to deflect it with wit and uh, try to deflect it with education. You know, those are the, the tools I use, but I, I realized that uh, uh, perhaps I should have been a little harder. But then again, it's, uh, it's a fine balance over there. You, you, can be, uh, you can be overly sensitive also. You can be overly sensitive and that's a disservice. You know, taking offense at anything and everything, uh, that will also um, not inure to your benefit. That's why it's good to uh, develop those uh, skills, the skills of judgment early on uh, as, a, um, as a visible minority uh, uh, that is not uh, commonly thought of in a particular position. You know, as, uh, as an attorney and, and even as a judge, I've been mistaken for other Asian American attorneys or other Asian American yeah. judges. And I'm wondering if you've had some of that experience also in your in your legal career as an advocate and also uh, on, on the bench? I don't know, for some unusual reason, I've always been taken for, mistakenly taken for a doctor. <laughs> I don't know why I don't, I certainly don't have any background in it, uh, nor any skill in it, but I, I noticed that. Uh, that I, it must be something about, you know, uh, my demeanor, even, even in restaurants, uh, you know, the, uh, <laughs> someone who, Say, oh yes, welcome, doctor. Yeah, nice to see you again. You know, they've seen me before, but I never introduced myself as doctor. Um, uh, there weren't there weren't as many uh, Asians participating as, as lawyers in uh, uh, in the Queen's courts. They were very few and far between. So I was never mistaken for. There wasn't anybody to confuse you with. That that's just <laughs> it, right? Right. That's the the whole thing. Uh, we we came to have a few um, a few other. Uh, Asian judges, uh, and I remember once um, uh, in the evening going to the judge's parking lot, and uh, a figure came out of the shadows over there and, uh, and said to me, are you Judge Wong? So I said, no, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I, just, I just sort of walked away, but I don't know what would have happened if I admitted to being <laughs> Judge Wong. Uh, so anyhow. Right. So he said something like, you look like Judge Wong. So I said, well, <laughs> you know, but that's, you know, I wasn't going to get into a further discussion of that. Uh, so anyhow, so I answered him honestly and managed to stay out of trouble. And then I told Judge Wong about this encounter, so he would stay alert. <laughs> Oftentimes when we talk about leadership, there may be a perception that Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders tend not to pursue these types of positions. Obviously, your illustrious career shows that you have taken on these challenges. You served as Inspector General of the New York City Department of Corrections, Administrative Judge of the Criminal Term of Queens County uh, Supreme Court, and of course, presiding justice of the appellate division second department. And I believe that you were also the president of the Association of Supreme Court Justices of the city of New York at one point. So you 
served in these roles when there were few, if any, other Asian Americans around you. So what made you decide to pursue all of these leadership positions? I've never shied away from leadership positions. I know that um, some of our Asian colleagues do shy away from leadership positions. Either they feel they don't have strong enough personalities, perhaps, or uh, they're afraid of the, uh, uh, of the challenges that go along with it. Uh, you know, they're, they're apprehensive about it. I, I have to credit, in some respects, my, uh, my military background. And that is for um, over 30 years, I was a, uh, uh, an army officer. I, I served in the Army National Guard of New York. I retired at the rank of colonel. And the leadership, of course, is uh, very significant in the military. If you're an officer, you lead. And you're, you're taught how to lead. And you know that you have to accept leadership positions when your time comes. So I think that helped uh, frame my thinking, too, regarding leadership. It, it became um, a natural. Regarding some leadership positions, we know there are some leadership positions that people avoid. Uh, various organizations and things, you know, uh, you might be uh, next online to be the president or the vice president. So I would rather not do that. It's too much work or, or there are too many headaches involved with it. But uh, in those situations, I, I, I stepped up. I, you know, I took the job uh, and, um, and I was glad that I did. And regarding, um, regarding leadership positions in the, uh, in the courts, well, the only, um, the only uh, uh, leadership positions you have are uh, being an administrative judge uh, or presiding justice. Those opportunities are rather uh, uh, few and far between. You can chart a course to be uh, a judge at a certain level. You can uh, frame your career to uh, achieve it. But with judicial leadership, it, uh, it's a different challenge. Judges serve a long time. Some of the judges in key administrative roles serve for years, even decades. There have even been some judicial leaders who are permitted to be judicial leaders after retirement. <laughs> I, I can cite, you, can prob you probably know what I'm speaking of, <laughs> but uh, I don't want to name names, but uh, uh, that has happened. So the, the point is there are not leadership opportunities that present themselves um, immediately and predictably. Uh, you, can, you can chart a course to be an associate justice of the appellate division, try to chart a course to be presiding justice. You don't know who the governor is going to be. You don't know how long the incumbent PJ is going to be. The incumbent PJ may, may serve until the last day of his or her eligibility or may leave. <laughs> you just don't know. So. It's, uh, it, it's hard to really target such a position. That's a challenge in seeking uh, leadership in the, uh, in the, in the judiciary, I, I think. But I think there's been greater turnover in recent years than there had been in the past, and those opportunities come up. So it's always a good idea to be respected by your colleagues, be known to the, uh, to the decision makers who appoint these um, uh, judicial supervisors. That's why um, I think I've, I've mentioned to uh, you and to uh, other groups over there that you have to be visible. You can't be provincial. 
some of the problems with Queens judges are that uh, they, they tend to stay, they tended to stay too local. And, and that is that you have to be known to the citywide administrations, the statewide administrations in, in one fashion or another. And you do that by, by serving on committees if called upon, commissions uh, if called upon. Uh, you have to step up in that, in that way to be a known quantity. No one's gonna make a judicial leader without him or her being a known quantity because they, you have to have the respect of the judges that you're supervising and you have to have the respect of those people who have appointed you. So that's why uh, you just can't come from out of nowhere. And you have to accept those leadership positions when they become an opportunity and when they're posed to you. Whenever I'm asked to take a leadership position, I always channel you. I never say no. The opportunities that present themselves, you need to accept, right? Um, that is true. And, uh, that is true. Move you forward. Can't, you can't hesitate, or you can be very uh, content in what you're doing. And if you are, all well and good. But um, if you want to advance, uh, if you want to decry the lack of, uh, of Asians in leadership positions, you have to do something about it. Right. You have to apply. You have yeah. to apply. Yes. And, um, and you have to be qualified. You need to put yourself out there, yes. Do you think that Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders have uh, certain uh, cultural values that make pursuing leadership difficult? Well, historically uh, and culturally, they didn't like to be confrontational. They, uh, they haven't been in-your-face people, so to speak. Uh, having been, um, been raised in New York City, uh, educated in New York City, I'm a New Yorker, so that kind of uh, confrontation, so to speak, comes a little more easily uh, to me than those from our group who, uh, who were educated abroad, raised abroad. Uh, it's, uh, it's different. It's a, it's a different cultural mindset over there. Uh, we, uh, our, our culture calls for harmony and, uh, and uh, indirect methods of resolving conflicts and disputes. There's nothing indirect in our, in our New York State, New York City culture at all. So uh, it is a challenge adopting. I didn't have to adopt. I, I, I'm from Queens. So it, uh, it came rather naturally uh, in that regard. Although I've got to say that I'm not as, you know, as, as uh, aggressive, so to speak, as some of my my colleagues, I, uh, I still have my upbringing that, uh, that I, I relied upon. It, it, uh, it, it can be a challenge in that regard. Uh, Asians, culturally, historically, is not like making waves. Sometimes you have to make waves. Don't rock, don't rock the boat, right? Don't rock the boat. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have any Asian American Pacific Islander mentors whom you gained insight for leadership? Again, uh, few and far between, uh, because I'm the, uh, the oldest of the post-World War II generation, a group that began to emerge uh, at that time. So there weren't uh, that many mentoring figures. Uh, I, can, uh, I can cite um, some lawyers that practiced in, uh, in Manhattan Chinatown, uh, the late Benjamin Gim, for example, uh, a noted immigration lawyer, a, um, a veteran of World War II, a graduate of uh, Columbia Law School, 
who was really uh, unable to make uh, much headway early on in his career because of racism and, and discrimination. He uh, ended up uh, opening a small immigration office in, uh, in Chinatown. His focus was immigration. But uh, later his, uh, his reputation grew, his, um, uh, his, um, his community visibility grew, and uh, he actually broadened his practice. He remained in immigration, but probably had as many non-Asian clients as, as Asian clients. So he made a success of it, and we talked. Uh, he, was, uh, he was my father's age. Um, so he was like a father figure in that regard. And there were a few others, you know, in, that, in those circles. They weren't so much mentors uh, as they were persons who uh, I could um, share experiences with and, and gain some insight. But they themselves uh, were in a, uh, a confined um, environment. Uh, a mentor is somebody that, you know, is, is in an environment that can benefit you by um, educating you in uh, the practices of larger organizations, larger institutions. But there weren't any Asians that, um, that were in that status. Uh, I can say I was admitted in 1973, and I could say confidently that uh, I knew every Chinese American practicing law in New York until about 1980, everyone personally. And uh, I can't say that I know all 39 uh, Asian Pacific Island judges now, and that's probably a good thing. You know, I just haven't had a chance to meet them all yet. So, so that's good, but that's how small a community that was. Uh, there were just a handful of uh, Asian judges, uh, particularly Chinese judges, practicing in Chinatown. They didn't go to court. Uh, they weren't, uh, they certainly weren't in firms. They, they, weren't, uh, they weren't GCs. Uh, they, um, they weren't in any other governmental agencies. Uh, uh, I was the first ADA of Asian uh, extraction, but uh, there were no Asian AUSAs or, or any other governmental lawyers. So it, it all came about, you know, in, in, my, in my time. I saw it from, from zero uh, until the present, and it's still growing. So in your judicial career, did you see instances where Asian Americans were absent at the table? Um, and uh, did, you, did you see instances where, you know, a gap needed to be filled, whether it was a committee or some other? Well, that's, that's true. That's true. I, I've been uh, involved in various uh, organizations, commissions and whatever, in which you had stakeholders groups. Uh, very rarely would you see an Asian face as one of the stakeholders. Uh, that, of course, is experience that I'm calling upon now from uh, more than 10 years ago. It may be different now, but in every commission, committee that I served on, I was the only Asian uh, that, was, that was designated. I don't know if I was appointed as a token or what, but uh, uh, I was usually the only one at the table. And then in my time as a trial judge, there was an underrepresentation of Asians as selected uh, trial jurors. I was in criminal term most of the time, so I was... Um, involved in the jury selection process. And Asians were, getting, were well, it, it was, it was, uh, was two-pronged. First, many were, were anxious to get themselves excused for one reason or another, Asian jurors. They didn't seem enthused about 
being uh, selected jurors. And I noticed that uh, both the prosecution and the defense were just excusing them uh, very quickly, very quickly and very easily. I'm, I'm not exactly certain of why. Um, of course, regarding um, you know, the challenges, I, we didn't have too many bats and issues involving Asian jurors, but I could tell, you know, you, when you're sitting there every day presiding over jury selection, you see trends. You see trends, and, uh, and that's the way it, it struck me. Again, talking about a perspective of, uh, you know, some years ago, I hadn't been a trial judge since uh, 2007 or so, but um, anyway, that's what I noticed. Hopefully things have changed. Hopefully things have improved. How do you think Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders can ensure that they are not overlooked when pursuing leadership positions? That isn't easy to, uh, to really, um, to really uh, speak to in that depends on the selection process involved. Now in leadership positions, we're talking about in the court system itself, those decisions are made by um, uh, the chief judge, the chief administrative judge, uh, and whoever they take into their confidence. So you don't know exactly who the decision makers are uh, necessarily. However, being known to them, being a known quantity is very important. So if you don't want to be overlooked, you don't want to be just surfacing at the time a position comes up. If you've been involved in committees, commissions, uh, other activities, you've chaired programs, let's say, in the courts uh, that uh, are either uh, you know, ethnocentric or, or, or of general interest, that brings you to the attention uh, of the decision makers. And I think that's important. Uh, the other part of it is uh, regarding um, um, uh, judicial screening committees. Uh, that's another, that's another uh, game there. I, I, I don't say that facetiously, but you know, you're talking about a chair, you're talking about members. It's, uh, it's good to know their, their bios, who they are. And uh, some of them have been, um, have been long-term members of these committees. You look at the, uh, the bios of these judicial selection committees and some of them are around a long time. So they, uh, get, they keep getting reappointed by uh, the appointing authorities. So, so being known to them is important, uh, such as uh, oh, through, um, through bar association circles. You look at the, the resume, the bio, or this member, that member. Oh, this person is active in you know, trial lawyers. This one's active in NICLA. This one's active in so-and-so. If you're active in those things and known there, you get to be known by those committee members. So that's, that's what I'm, I'm saying. There are different processes involved. But the key in each of them is being a known quantity and a positive known quantity. Not somebody that, uh, you know, just attends meetings, but attends meetings and, uh, and does something. <laughs> that's, right. that's, yeah, that's my perspective. To be active, not just to no, not just a member. be a yes. member. Right. Yeah, so that's, that's just it. You know, it's, uh, you have to, uh, to study your objective and, uh, and that's how you craft you know, an approach to achieving this objective. You've been retired from the bench now since 2017, and yes. you're, you are in private practice now. Yes. So I'm wondering if you have any 
practical advice for us sitting judges now that you are a practicing attorney before judges? Mm. Well, uh, it, it is different. Uh, I've got to say that I, I have been involved in uh, the practice of law now for over three years. Uh, what benefits me in the courts is I'm a known quantity. If, I, if I'm uh, in a courtroom in a virtual setting, everyone knows who I was. So, you know, I don't, uh, I don't get blown off, you know, so to speak. Uh, we'll see how long, you know, my, my memory, <laughs> the, the memory of me lasts over there. But for now, uh, I, I've been comfortable in, in that regard. I have to say that um, uh, we're not seeing enough. We're seeing more, but we're not seeing enough uh, young or new Asian lawyers in the courts themselves before the judges. I, I think in your experience, you could probably, well, can you validate that? You're not seeing, you know, you're not seeing as many Asian lawyers as you should be seeing, uh, correct? I, That's I absolutely say. true. That continues yes. to be true. That's right. right? And, and you yes. sit in Kings with an enormous Asian population. Yes. And, uh, and a fairly right, like 12% of the population. And a, and a fairly good number of lawyers. If you, if you open the Chinese newspaper and turn to the classified ads, you will see an entire page of lawyers over there. But those lawyers are involved in transactional law mainly, you know, uh, uh, real estate, uh, uh, sales of businesses, immigration matters, things like that. They're still doing that. There aren't that many litigators, although there are more. There are more now. Uh, there are more now than, of course, there, there had been. So it's, um, it, it's something that they're going to have to do for themselves. They, there have been some, uh, some well-recognized uh, Asian litigators, uh, both in the private sector and uh, in the, uh, the governmental sector that have been seen recently. And I'm very pleased to see that. And they're not afraid to be in the courtroom. <laughs> and that's, that's all to the good. So uh, I, I just recommend that, uh, you know, they, they be patient. And uh, uh, the more the judges see of you, the easier it is, you know, for you to have, you know, to get their respect and their ear and everything else. Uh, everyone is, is much more sensitive now to, uh, to diversity than, uh, than in my time. So I think uh, now is probably a very good uh, opportunity for Asian Asian lawyers, male and female, to uh, uh, to step up. I, I think it, it is the time. Indeed. So I, I think that we are concluding our time for this podcast. Uh, thank you so much for being here today and having this conversation with me. And I thank everybody for tuning in to this episode of the Historical <laughs> Society of the New York Courts podcast. And for more episodes, please visit our website at history.nycourts.gov. And that's history.nycourts.gov. Thank you, Lillian. It's been a great pleasure. And I hope to see you and all of our friends and colleagues in person in the very near future. I hope so too. Yes. It's always a pleasure to have a conversation with you, Randy. Thank you. Thank you.